The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Hello! It is I, Kristen Spencer, Chief Editor at Literary Symmetry. It could be that you are listening to this on the Expensive Words Podcast. It could be that you are watching it live on the Literary Symmetry uh, Instagram account, or you're watching it later on IGTV. Today, we are going to do part three of Story Boot Camp. See, I count like a European like this, because you know what? This means two. <laughs> right? In some European countries, this means two. So you don't, you just say three, one, two, three. And if I was a Russian spy in the U.S. in the Cold War, that's how you would be able to tell, is I would not count one with my index finger. But anyways, that's just a force of habit. I still do that. For those of you who are listening, uh, I count thumb first, then index finger, and then middle finger. So like one is like a thumbs up. All right. So last time uh, in story boot camp number two, we, d- we did an exercise, right, where we chose... Uh, the beginning of an autobiographical moment. And then we talked about how you need to start as close to the action as possible. And I read you a sample of a story that I'm working on uh, called Papu in Paris. And Papu means grandfather in Greek. And today I wrote the second part. And uh, I have to like, I kind of stopped in the middle of a paragraph. So I had to include the whole paragraph. So there was a tiny bit of overlap, but The beginning of the story is basically that my oldest daughter, who was nine at the time, wanted to go buy macarons in Paris because we were there with her grandfather. And we didn't know that it would be the last really big touristy kind of trip that we would ever take with him. Uh, He was working in London, so we met him there because we were living in Athens, Greece at the time. And um, we, we had planned other trips, but he ended up tragically dying as the result of a skiing accident. And so this is my retrospective moment because I'm writing this for his sister who uh, really loves this picture where Xena and her brother, Xena's my oldest daughter, are walking uh, down the street in Paris. And I took a picture of them from behind and they're holding hands and it's so cute. So I thought I would give her the memory for Christmas to go along with the photo And I can tell you about it because she's not on Instagram and she doesn't listen to podcasts. So I thought I would use it as an example for our story boot camp. So where we are going today is we're going to hit the middle of the story. And what you want to see in a retrospective piece like this, uh, I'm going to get into that more. But um, you want to see the... You want to see a bit of foreshadowing as to what's coming at the end. And you also want to uh, 
have more details that tell you about the character so that you understand them, you're rooting for them. Uh, remember, in between the Story Bootcamp episode, I did one called Why We Need Story Filters, where I read you the beginning of Cash Crash Jubilee, um, and it was not a good beginning And I was like, we don't know anything about this character. We don't know why we should care about him. And so even in a short story, you want to know why you should care about a character as soon as possible. And so uh, that's one of the things that I made sure to put in there. But in this section, the second chunk, you're going to see there's more of that. And there's also more personal relation. And there's something else that I have a post-it note to talk about, and that was upside down. Wait, or not upside down. Anyway, you couldn't see it. But uh, of something that I specifically want to point out about this story that we're going through. And so as you're listening, I want you to be listening for, do you remember? You need to listen for details that evoke emotion because that's what you're trying to do in this story boot camp is to use details uh, of either touches, sights, smells, details that have to do with, you know, any of the five senses or the sixth sense, which is like an intuition, where it draws you into the story because it helps you uh, have some kind of emotion about what's going on inside of the story. So without further ado, I'm going to read Papu in Paris Part 2. And... So remember, I had to start like a little bit of what we covered last time because I had stopped in the middle of a paragraph. So Papu in Paris Part 2. I broke out of my reminiscent fog as the modern cap peddler pulled out three caps. One, a bright purple, and two pink options. A light pink, the color of a ballerina's shoe, and bright pink, fuchsia. I heard the Greek word for fuchsia in my head. Oh, sorry, fuchsia. I read it wrong. (laughs) Because of the accent. I knew which one each girl would pick. Purple for Xena, the nine-year-old, and Fuchsia for Kati, who was almost seven. But it wasn't just me who knew what they would would pick. When Alan had asked the hat peddler for caps, he had specifically said hot pink and purple. Because he already knew that any other pink wouldn't be pink enough for Kati, my youngest daughter. There is a kinship you feel with a person who loves your kids as much as you do. I haven't felt it with many people, and I have never felt it as strongly as I felt it with my father-in-law. He placed the new berets carefully on their heads after brushing each side of each side of each hair behind each ear. Uh, I used a possessive for beret, so I would go back and edit that, which I will. <sighs> Time to get macarons. He paid the man for the hats and we left the store. But on the way there, maybe mommy can take a couple of pictures of us. He pointed to the camera that was attached to my wrist with with a secure piece of neoprene. Of course, I said, we can't go anywhere without first capturing how cute those berets are. Very Paris of you girls. When we finally got into my father-in-law's iPhone after the accident... I saw he had also taken a few more photos of himself with the beret-wearing girls on there. He didn't have a lot of photos on his phone in general, but there were at least ten of the girls, a splash of color on each of their heads, walking along down in downtown Paris. Some people don't think doing touristy things is very cool or cultured, but there are moments in life when you can't be bothered to care about when someone else is judging your joy. That's one of the things I miss about Alan. 
Most of the time, he didn't really care what other people thought, and when it came to his grandchildren, he really didn't care what anyone else thought, except when it came to me or Travis. Then he was careful to listen. He knew that his grandchildren were fiercely loved and cared for by us, by me. His friends would always tell me, Alan is always talking about what a great mom you are. So do you hear there were two always very close together and not on purpose? So I would edit one of those. I would probably just delete one. Uh, or Alan says you're the most amazing wife to Travis, but I do remember that he didn't like the way I styled my hair very much. <laughs> and I would maybe delete very because it usually doesn't add any meaning. Even on that Paris trip, he asked me, aren't you going to brush your hair before we go out? It's true that it really happened. He didn't understand what it was like to care for curly hair when you're traveling with three kids and six backpacks. No room for a flat iron or a curling iron. At least I had a tiny bottle of argon oil. Dad, Travis had said. Now we laugh about it. Then I almost laughed about it. The macaron shop had no intentions of disappointing my children or my father-in-law. Well, not until much later that night. Foreshadowing. The bright, colorful rows of macarons were carefully protected beneath large sheets of spotless glass. Spotless until my children curated an abstract collection of fingerprint art all over them. Alan would gra gently grab the small hands and hold them in his. Let's not make them have to clean all of the glass in the shop again, he said. He was always teaching them to think of the people who had to work in shops like that, or in restaurants. He would make a game out of it and give the kids a quarter if they could not only remember the server's name, but use it when thanking them after the meal. And that's where we're stopping today. So you can hear, like, there are seemingly uh, contradictory things inside of this story, right? Because I'm like, oh, well, he didn't care what other people thought. But then you can see that he's teaching the children how to care for other people. So it's not that he wanted to impress people with well-behaved children, but he wanted to teach my kids how to care about every person. And uh, that's something that I still appreciate. That's something that my husband and I still, we always get the server's name when we go out. We always thank them by name for the meal. The kids just do that automatically now. Uh, if you've ever worked in the food industry, which I haven't, but I have lots of family members who have, you should be getting to know their name. You should be thanking them. It's really rough. Or if you uh, have ever worked in retail, which I have worked in retail, yeah, use the name, use the thank yous. These are people who matter, and they're made to feel like they don't matter all day long. And I really love that my father-in-law taught my kids to care about strangers because it's just awesome. Uh, it's something that we should all do, and I would encourage you to try to care more about strangers if you don't already, if you don't already learn people's names and and treat them like human beings. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Walmart, and this person in the next aisle was screaming at an employee, and I have a good friend whose fiancé works in Walmart, and I got really upset, and I was like, uh, my oldest daughter was with me, and I was like, if they say one more thing to that person, I'm going over there, and she's all, agreed, we're doing it. I was like, okay, you know, with our masks on. And, of course, the person yelling was not wearing a mask. Um, but they calmed down when they saw me. And so, but I mean, it's just, it's these little things, right? Like let's treat each other like human beings because that not only adds value to the other person's life, it adds value to our life because it's helping us to remember what's important. 
but so you, <laughs> this was just like something that my father-in-law inherently did. He was trying to teach my kids to care about other people without this idea of like, if you behave wrong, you're making me look bad. And I haven't really seen a lot of parents or grandparents do that as well as he did. Uh, it makes me miss him a lot. Reading this is making me sad. <laughs> I'm going to cry a little bit, probably. I'm already starting to cry. But um, because I haven't written a lot about him yet, my husband and I did spend three months researching for a book that we want to write about my father-in-law's life because his life was extremely interesting. Um, but so I haven't written a ton about him, and it makes me it makes me sad. I miss him, especially this time of year. His birthday is coming up in just, like, two weeks, and... Uh, we still, you know, we we celebrate his birthday. We eat his favorite food. Uh, Travis and I get the kids gifts that would be like they're like from Papu, you know, things that he would have wanted them to have. And yeah, sorry. Uh, and so one of the things that you'll notice in this story, though, is that my father-in-law does not come off as a perfect person like he used to tease me about my hair he didn't understand like he was bald okay and at first it would really bother me but then I was like he's just he has no point of reference for this so it's fine whatever so like I talked about my hair two episodes ago I think in story boot camp too or yesterday because I got snow in my hair and it looked crazy when I was doing the uh, Instagram live but I was like, my hair's really curly, and I, like, kind of uncurl it. And maybe you were like, that's so random. Why do we need to know this? Well, I knew I was going to come into the story because I knew I was going to talk about how he was always like, aren't you going to brush your hair? And my husband would be like, Dad, you're being rude. <laughs> but that's the thing, and then that's what I want to talk about, is you have to figure out who the story's for. And in this case, the story's for someone else who remembers my father-in-law. And, you know, it's for his big sister, right? And she loves him uh, more than I more than I do, probably. I mean, it's not a competition. We really love we really loved him a lot, both of us. Um, but when you're thinking about someone who's passed away or you're writing a story that's retrospective about someone who's no longer with you, I know a lot of people will be like, "You're not allowed to say anything bad about them because I know that's cultural. Like in Greek culture, you wouldn't do that. So if I showed this story to one of my um, friends in Greece, they would probably be like, oh, "You mentioned that he made fun of your hair. You shouldn't do that." And I would tell them, uh, "I understand that that made you upset. I'm sorry you feel upset. This is my story, though, and I'm going to write it this way. And the reason why." is because when someone you love has died, this is what's on the post-it note, um, you don't want to remember them as perfect because then they don't feel real anymore. And if you've ever gone through grief, like you want to remember those awkward things, you want to remember those almost embarrassing moments or those fights that you had because that proves that they were real. Because if you are like, okay, I can only remember the times when they were nice to me. I can only remember when they were like perfectly behaved or when they did this amazing thing, then it doesn't feel real because real people are not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And so because I'm working on something that's retrospective and nostalgic about someone who's no longer with us, I want to create that sense of them feeling like a real person. And yeah, that's like an advanced writing thing. Okay, that's an advanced writing technique. 
Uh, also, you could hear in there that I used foreshadowing that the store didn't let us down until later that night. And that's that's what I was talking about earlier when I was like, you need to have some kind of foreshadowing as to how the story is going to end. Because I know how the story is going to end. And there is a very interesting thing that happens with a cookie from that bakery at the end of the story. And I'm not going to spoil it because I want you to listen. I want you to watch. Um but I know that it's going to be a great moment to end the story, even though it's making me so sad. <laughs> but that's what good writing does, is it makes us feel things for better or for worth, for better or for worse. And that's how I measure whether writing is good or not. Although, of course, I'm looking at technique. I'm looking at, oh, there were two alwayses right next to each other. Oh, there was an accidental possessive when you meant a plural. That's my copy editor brain. And a lot of readers will notice those things because they care, but they'll they'll let you make so many mistakes before they get upset. Uh, but you don't want a manuscript full of mistakes like that, and that's why you have an editor, and that's why you don't publish your first draft, which this was a first draft that I just wrote because I've been so busy today. Um, and... Yeah, before I end this episode, I want to say a word from our sponsors, which I'm going to start doing because I haven't been doing it, but I should. Because sponsors matter and Literary Symmetry is the sponsor of this show, Expensive Words Podcast. And so I'm going to tell you about something awesome that Literary Symmetry, including me, has created. All right. Learn how to write like a best-selling author in just one lesson with story filters and stop doing the one thing readers hate most. Whether you write fiction or nonfiction, this breakthrough framework will teach you which details matter to your story. Are you struggling to figure out how many and which details to include in your writing? Stop trying to fake it until you make it. Sign up for story filters today and get the answers you really need. You can find the free course of story filters at literarysymmetry.com forward slash story filters. All right. So that was a little word from our sponsors and my super announcery voice. Uh, I am really excited for story boot camp number four, where I'm going to finish out this story. And you're like, oh, that's the end of it. No. Actually, it's just the beginning of the fictional story. So we're going to finish out the autobiographical uh, ending after the next episode. But what your homework for this episode is, is to write the second part of the autobiographical short story that you're working on. Uh, I think that this story should be around 2,000 words in the end. So try to get, you know, 500 to 700 words for the second chunk of your story. And remember, you want something that foreshadows to to what the last part of the story will be. And you want to include things that will naturally endear the character that you're writing about or the real person that you're writing about, right? Because you're writing about a real person. Um, you want to write about something that's going to make the reader want to know more about that person uh, that makes them want to like them. And, you know, it's okay to include details that make the person seem real, which means that you can include mistakes that they've made or things that they did to maybe hurt your feelings a little bit. But if the person's still alive, you have to be careful about publishing because of uh, because of libel, 
right, which is something that your copy editor will always care about, something that I care about for you. Because when you are not a public figure, you have a right to expect privacy. And so like when I write stuff about my family, technically they can sue me about it uh, to get me to stop. They have to prove that what I'm saying is um, untrue, which I wouldn't say anything untrue. But also my family's supportive and they they – got you know they I know it's hard for them but they're they're like okay we understand she's a writer she's going to write about her life we're in her life and so I do try to limit what I say about them like I don't want to be like they did all this stuff bad blah 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 no I don't I mean that's not the purpose of my writing I've talked about that before about how uh, in the writing 101 class I talk about how if you want to share your personal story you need to come from a place of healing rather than a place of bitterness because writing about it in uh, that bitter tone is not going to endear you to your readers. Um, but yeah, you just have to be careful about publishing work that's about people who are still alive, who will get upset and have a reasonable right to expect privacy because they're not public figures. But this is not for you to publish. And you're like, but Kristen, you promised me that I would have a story that I could publish after this story boot camp. You will, but this is not the story you're going to publish, so it's okay to put real details in there. Um, and if you want to share it on Instagram using the hashtag StoryBootCamp, I will find it, but just make sure that there's nothing really personal that you don't want on the internet about you or your family in that post. Okay, so next time you're going to write the middle of your story, and I'm going to read you the end of my story in, boot, in Story Boot Camp episode four so that you can finish up your autobiographical, autobiographical story. And then we're going to get into the fiction writing where you will end up with a story that you can publish right away. Okay, that's all for me today. Remember, it is never too late to write the story of your heart. And I am now going to go make some fettuccine. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. Happy writing.